0: What should we eat? This question is at the heart of being an omnivore, something we share with very few animals, most notably cockroaches and rats. Being generalist eaters means we have endless choices regarding food, and that food that we eat is a reflection of our culture and our relationship with the natural world. Hi, this is Jonathan Marks, and welcome to the On Your Marks Book Review Podcast. This week I review the book The Omnivore's Dilemma by Michael Pollan. Poland, a US-based writer and journalist, has published eight books, six of which have been New York Times bestsellers. This book, like the others he has written, focuses on the intersect of humans and the natural world. His books range from the subject of food, these include Food Rules, Cooked and in Defense of Food, to Neuroscience. Book titles here include How to Change Your Mind and This is Your Mind on Plants. The Omnivore's Dilemma, a book I picked up some years back at an airport bookshop, is an absolutely fascinating read. It's an anthropological and scientific immersion into food, and into the food system that has taken control of so much of what, where, and how we eat. Let me say that this book, while some years old, is absolutely worth reading. Food binds us all together, not just as humans, but food connects us to our world, and is the carrier of so much of our social and cultural fabric. We often eat with no real thought about the provenance of our food, handing over control, power and decision-making to food producers, supermarkets, restaurants and those in the fast food industry. That it's no wonder we have become estranged from what we eat and finding an answer to the question, what should we eat? This book helps to clarify, at least for me, this very complex question. The author takes us on a journey of investigating three food systems, industrialised food production, organic food and foraging. Through each he immerses himself, much like an anthropologist in the system, in an attempt to understand how these systems have emerged and evolved, or in the case of foraging, are sadly slowly dying away. The book ends with no treatise or suggestion on how to eat. That's left entirely to you. Although Poland's book Food Rules is an indispensable guide for those who are looking for guidelines and want to learn from Poland's experience and knowledge. He has, since writing this book, become something of a food evangelist and a proponent for breaking away from what is called the standard American diet. The book unfolds in an unusual order. The author starts with the industrial food system and industrial food production, in particular the role of corn or maize in this food system. He explains carefully how the natural system of planting food and rearing animals led to items on the supermarket that we all pretty much know and recognise – lamb, potatoes, chicken, eggs, beets, etc. This all worked pretty well and most farmers grew or raised a diverse range of products through the seasons. Farmers relied on nature and the natural process of fertilization of fields to grow each season's crops. Then along came artificial fertilizer. And with this the realization that one could fast track nature and speed up production, getting food to market faster and getting more of it grown. All seemed like good news so far, except the increased nitrogen, among other things, has impacted soil quality, and the influence of the market, often through government intervention, led to the production of monocultures on more and more farms. Suddenly farmers who grew so much of our food could no longer even feed themselves. At the centre of this, especially in the US, is corn. As more and more uses were found for corn, principally among these as animal feed, This, along with soybeans, became the mainstay of American farms. Note that cows and other ruminants have no ability to digest corn. They are focused grass eaters, so while corn fattens them up quickly for market, it means they are sick much of the time and are reliant on antibiotics to keep alive. All that medication ends up in our food system and, of course, ultimately in us. Corn is the mainstay of global industrial food production. It is so versatile and malleable that Poland estimates that in the average supermarket with around 45,000 different items, about half of those contain corn. Here's a quote from the book with Poland speaking about the role of corn in our food system. When I started trying to follow the industrial food chain, the one that now feeds most of us most of the time, and typically culminates either in a supermarket or fast food meal, I expected that my investigation would lead me to a wide variety of places. And though my journey did take me to a great many states and and covered a great many miles, at the end of these food chains, which is to say, at the very beginning, I invariably found myself in almost exactly the same place, a farm field in the American Corn Belt. The great edifice of variety and choice that is the American supermarket turns out to rest on a remarkably narrow biological foundation comprised of a tiny group of plants that is dominated by a single species, zia maize, the giant tropical grass most Americans know as corn. Corn is what feeds the steer that becomes the steak. Corn feeds the chicken and the pig, the turkey and the lamb, the catfish and the tilapia, and increasingly even the salmon, a carnivore by nature that the fish farmers are re-engineering to tolerate corn. The eggs are made of corn, the milk and cheese and yogurt which once came from dairy cows that grazed on grass now typically come from cows that spend their working life Indoors, tethered to machines, eating corn. End quote. The author ends this section with, of course, his industrial meal, and this is, naturally, a visit to McDonald's. Interested to know how much corn he and his family have eaten, they have a biologist run the meal through a mass spectrometer. This was the outcome. Soda, 100% corn. Milkshake, 78%. Salad dressing, 65%. Chicken nuggets, 56%. Cheeseburger, 54%. French fries, 23%. As he says at the end of this chapter, and I quote, what in the eyes of an omnivore looks like a meal of impressive variety turns out to be a meal of a far more specialised kind of eater. End quote. Next, Poland looks to the organic food movement. What he discovers is in many ways no less troubling. Big food has latched itself onto the organic movement and is ramping this up to look much the same as industrial food production. While some smaller, fully organic family farms still exist, they really are no match for the capital and marketing reach of the big players such as General Mills, Tyson Foods and many others. Poland spends time on a farm with a second-generation, organic and non-industrialised farmer, raising plants and animals in a manner more akin to that of yesteryear. His time at the farm, Polyface Farms, helps him understand that all meat we eat is really just grass, that we use the animal as an intermediary, We don't have the ability to process grass raw and so rely on the cow, and other animals to do it for us. Also, that all we eat is essentially solar energy. This is the cornerstone, again, of the organic movement. There's no reliance on oil or any petrochemicals. And this means that you're not borrowing from that energy store, from our future. You make do with what we already have in abundance, sunlight. It all gets a little esoteric, but the gist of this section is that What we think of as slow food is really just food. It's how things grow naturally, how animals fatten themselves over time eating grass, what they eat naturally, and how variety and careful management of land and plants and animals creates a system on the farm that is perfectly balanced. Of course, brands such as Whole Foods capitalise on our desire for organic foods, often not very organic at all. This rise of big organic is worrying to many farmers, but I guess we'll have to see the impact of this in time. Poland cooks a meal for friends drawn entirely from produce produced on polyface farms. He cooks this meal at the home of a friend nearby so as to limit his carbon footprint of flying across the country with his raw ingredients, another part of the organic slow food movement. He notes at the end of the meal that, and I quote, "...the pleasures of the table begin with eating, but they can end up anywhere human talk cares to go. In the same way that the raw becomes cooked, eating becomes dining." End quote. The author now turns to foraging for his food. No simple task it would appear in Northern California. As part of this process, he decides it's time to cook and eat an animal that he has shot and killed. Bemused, he discovers that you can buy a high-powered rifle for self-defense pretty much anywhere in the state, but in order to hunt an animal, you need to attend 14 hours of classes and write a multiple-choice question exam. Anyway, he duly does this and he finds a guide, not just for the hunting but also for the foraging, and sets out to discover what is tasty and edible in his area. His first sojourn is to find mushrooms, and this brings into stark relief the trust we bestow on those who gather and sell us our food. Which mushroom to eat and which might kill you with just a single bite is what worries him. He finds a tasty-looking chanterelle mushroom, brings it home, and after hours consulting his guidebook, is still unclear – if this is edible or not. He stops just short of driving across the county to his mentor to have it correctly identified. I guess it was tasty rather than poisonous, as he has gone on to write numerous books since this one. But what this process uncovers is how hard it is to be an omnivore, especially when we don't have the knowledge of what to eat, let alone where to find it. The section also examines the ethics of eating animals, something that I'm sure polarises many people. Poland references the book Animal Liberation by Peter Singer, an important philosophical argument about the humane treatment of animals and an argument against eating animals. I would highly recommend this book, but do warn you, it will challenge much of what you think or even think you know about meat and animals. I found this chapter one of the best in the book. It's hard not to become vehement about our consumption of animals. Poland quotes essay writer J.M. Kutzea, who some years ago, to lecture at Princeton said, and I quote, "If the animal rightists are right, then a crime of stupendous proportion is going on all around us every day, just beneath our notice end quote. in the end, Poland and his guide mentor Angelo head off to hunt a wild pig. There's some confusion in the moment, and neither is quite sure who shot in fact killed the pig. The hunting story gets taller and taller as it's retold. But in these few lines, I find my great respect and admiration for the author. Personally, I felt a little sick at the idea of him killing the animal, and in the preamble, he too was anticipating this emotion. As he says, Every good hunter is uneasy in the depths of his conscience when faced with the death he is about to inflict on an enchanting animal. But the one emotion I expected to feel, but did not, inexplicably, was remorse, or even ambivalence. All that would come later, but now I'm slightly embarrassed to admit I feel absolutely terrific, unambiguously happy. End quote. I think this wonderfully honest reflection made such sense to me not the killing, but the act of him killing what he was about to eat. His hunting felt real, especially when juxtaposed against the mass anonymous slaughter of animals that is so far from the experience of picking up a pack of steaks from the supermarket freezer. And so ends the book with one final meal cooked from ingredients he has gathered himself. In some ways, this moment felt like a step backward through time and through the book, from modernity to ancient times. But I was left slightly saddened at the end by how much we have lost. As Poland says in the closing of this book, imagine for a moment if we once again knew, strictly as a matter of course, these few unremarkable things. What it is we're eating where it comes from, how it found its way to our table, and what, in a true accounting, it really costs. We would no longer need any reminding that however we choose to feed ourselves, we eat by the grace of nature, not industry, and what we're eating is never anything less than the body of the world. Have an absolutely blessed week ahead.